Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What up, everybody? This is Rob Brandt. And this is Rick Brandt, and we are the Brothers Brandt. And we are coming in episode after episode during this quarantine, getting you through it. We're coming in with great content. We had a blast on our previous episode with uh, the top dog from UGA, athletic director Greg McGarity, who's been there for almost two decades. Definitely give that a listen. But we are coming in with straight fire tonight. Today is a big episode, and I'm so pumped to be a part of it and so pumped to have our guest on. Rick, why don't you turn it over and introduce our incredible guest today? Rob, I can hear the excitement in your voice. And uh, similarly, I am just over the moon about our guest here today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a super special, inspirational gentleman to join us here on the Brothers Brand Podcast. His name is Coach Rob Mendez. And I'm sure many of you know that name already because a year ago, you probably saw Coach Rob Mendez appear on ESPN as a Jimmy V ESPY Award winner. He won the Jimmy V ESPY Award for Perseverance last year. And Rob's story is just absolutely incredible. He is an amazing guy. And I had the incredible opportunity to spend time with him a few months ago. And let me just tell you a little bit about Rob. Rob was born with a rare condition without any arms or legs. But let me tell you, he has got the biggest heart you could imagine. He has embraced his differences. He cherishes life's challenges through playing video games. He learned sports. He got a chance to be included in sports as a kid with his buddies. And football is his passion. He ended up becoming a head football coach for a freshman high school team in California. And not too long after, ESPN saw this story. They did a documentary on it. And Coach Rob Mendez delivered one of the greatest speeches of all time at the 2019 ESPYs in front of Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson. You, the list goes on and on. And this guy, again, so excited he's on here to talk with us. He's now traveling the country, giving motivational speeches to NFL teams, major league ball clubs. He's writing a book. I mean, the world is just at his, at his just every waking moment, excited to hear all the things he's got going on. Rob, thanks for joining us. I could go on and on, but let's hear from <laughs> you. Welcome to the pod, Rob. Hey guys, what's up? 
Thanks for having me. This is pretty cool. Now that we're all quarantined in, this is what we got. I like what we're using, what we have here. It's awesome. It's awesome using technology to bring us together when uh, we're separated. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think we're done with the podcast, Rob, after Rick's intro. I think we're done. I think we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> covered the whole story right there, all in one. <laughs> no, we got a lot to unpack, and we're pumped about this. And I'm going to get right into it. I want to... I want to take us back, uh, you know, to your childhood and uh, like Rick explained your condition growing up, like walk us through being just a, a youngster with your, uh, with, uh, with growing up uh, with your condition. Um, well, I grew up in a town, a small town called Gilroy, which is just south of San Jose and Gilroy was really welcoming and they, you know, ever since I started school at such a young age. I think one of the best things for, my, for me was my parents putting me into school, um, into a daycare at 18 months. And right then and there, I think I was able to socialize and just figure out, you know, what I'm capable of doing within, you know, my own um, capabilities. And also being around people, I think, was a great thing for me because not only did I create a lot of friendships or build a lot of friendships, but I think that it taught me on how to deal with certain you know personalities and all kinds of different people so since day one i've always been around people and and um i think right then and there i was you know i i adapted since day one because i didn't know anything different and the people around me they they knew me as just rob and they didn't know me you know as wheelchair rob they knew me since a day one or since a, a little you know a little guy in a wheelchair Anyways, um, as I did get older, I started meeting, you know, new people and new kids. So I think I didn't really start noticing my differences until about eight or nine years old, actually. So my first, you know, decade of life, I lived a whole normal life of just really not noticing other than maybe realizing people can walk and run and, and get themselves something to eat. Um, but that didn't really discourage me from, um, you know, having an upbeat attitude. And I think it was because of, I always got what I needed. You know, I had such good supportive family. My parents were great, you know, with, with adapting to a kid with no arms, no legs. And, and growing up in, in Gilroy, I grew up with a small group of friends. Um, I had three, three really close friends that lived in the same neighborhood as me. And we did almost everything together. So they, you know, when I was older, they put me at the goalie position in street hockey and used my big wheelchair to block pucks. Um, how, but yeah, how, good, how good were you at playing goalie? Like, were you just like, you know, Chris Osgood or Patrick Wah? Like, did you just not let anything in because you had the, the chair? Man, those names bring up a lot of memories. I'm a big 90s hockey guy because my dad actually had season tickets to the Sharks when they first came to San Jose. So I went to a lot of the hockey games and hockey was one of my favorite sports growing up. I, I feel like you should have like season tickets for the Sharks. Like they should just give them to you because of that shout out you gave on the ESPYs for you and your dad to go to a Sharks game. Hey, you know what? Maybe you should share this podcast and, and bring up that idea to <laughs> SJ Sharks. <laughs> I, I work in sales, so hey, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I, I do have my season tickets, though, still. I got my tickets in the nosebleed, but I'm still in the building. And, um, you know, I've been going to the game since 93. My dad took me when I was five years old for the first time, right behind the glass. And just the action, the speed, the sound effects of the hockey puck, the skates, mm. you know, it's awesome. I love hockey. And the smashes from Joe Thornton. 
uh, growing up, I actually w watched a lot of um, Jeff Rogers. This is going back before Joe Thornton days. Okay. This is even going back before Owen Nolan days. Owen Nolan's an old time name, but I can go back to Archer's Urbe, who was the first goalie ever in, in the hockey fran or in the Sharks franchise. Mm. But anyways, we're kind of getting off topic. I love no, no, no. Hockey. I'm a big Marty Brodeur fan growing up in New Jersey as a, as a Devils fan. So that's what uh, got me excited about hockey was uh, Marty. That reminds me of uh, Seinfeld. Do you remember Seinfeld when they went to the, the Devils and, and Rangers game? <laughs> Devils! Ah! <laughs> putty, putty. <laughs> yes, it was Putty, uh, Elaine's boyfriend. R Rick and I are huge Seinfeld fans. We've seen every episode at least a couple of times. <laughs> oh, I watched it from beginning to end on Hulu, and that was one of my favorite things growing up was going to the Sharks games at nighttime, getting back like around 10 or 10.30, and Seinfeld was on at 11 every single night. So. Yes. Yes, yes. I had a good routine. <laughs> oh, man, we're, we're diving deep off track, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, getting back to our conversation, as you can see, it was just a normal upbringing. There wasn't too much other than, you know, having a little bit more patience with understanding that people are going to have to help me in certain situations. But I think learning from day one or learning from a young age um, has it really helped me adapt to this on-hands world and for me to understand it at a young age I think has helped me along the way um, adapt to you know on-hand situations and just think it out and use my brain yes fa fascinating it's awesome I love I love hearing that I mean that's uh that's a lot to take in right there and you know I, you gave a massive shout out to your mom and dad and and Mike your caretaker and all that uh during the SB speech which I watched before this and I'm totally jacked up if you can't tell um, from watching it, but, um, yeah, what did, you, what kind of lessons, like, was there specific lessons that your, your mom or dad taught you growing up? Um, yeah, and a lot of people probably think that, um, you know, it was just persevering. My dad was the tough guy kind of on me that was always not allowing me to feel sorry for myself. Um, not only that, but just, I was always occupied in the mind to, you know, play video games or, uh, you know, I learned how to write with my mouth at a young age. So I, I adapted to this world at a young age and that put my dad into a position where it was almost easy for him to, I wouldn't say easy. I don't want to take any, you know, credit away from him, but having the resources that we had around, it, it just all evolved into, um, you know, it, we could do things in different ways. And I got to give my dad a lot of credit because whenever I was, I don't know if short change is the right word, but if I was, um, if someone assumed I couldn't do something, um, such as integrate myself into a, a soccer game with regular, you know, with kids with arms and legs, you know, I, I took that, goalie concept of playing goalie you know in the street hockey to the the playground at school so I was a goalie in soccer and you know there was a time where there was campus supervisors making sure they're I'm sure they were looking out for my safety but they were going to be telling me that I couldn't do certain things and my friends and my family they knew I could do it and the people that knew me weren't as worried or scared for me as the people that didn't know my capabilities. So I think it was just me teaching the world on how capable someone like myself can be as long as 
you know, you're not scared to be mm. looking different. And my, I think one of the biggest qualities in my life was never being uh, scared to fail or never being scared to embarrass to look kind of ridiculous because I'm doing something a different way. And my friends and my family have always, you know, been there for me to support me and say, you know, heck with those people, forget those people, even if they do think it's, you know, kind of ridiculous or if they're kind of curious. And at first curiosity kind of bugged me, but then I realized, you know, over the years that people are just going to be curious, you know, no matter what, naturally um, people have curiosity. So I had to, I had to learn how to adapt in that, in that area. Mm. But but going back to my dad on teaching me and my mom teaching me, my mom more taught me to be compassionate for others and to understand that people are going to do things differently and they're going to have different beliefs and just to be simply kind, you know, just to be very kind to others. And then my dad always was tough on me and, and not only tough on me, but opened my mind to other possibilities such as, you know, there was times where I used to get sad at my watching my friends play wiffle ball with their dads. So my dad one day put a, a plastic bat and he wedged it right here in the in between my shoulder and my chin and i was able to swing it as long as i gave it a good you know swing with your body just like everyone else whenever they swing with their hips so he tossed the ball to me and i was able to swing my body and swing the bat at the same time and you know that was pretty cool to bring that into my life um just to be able to play ball with my dad and play video games play madden with my friends and be able to talk some smack to them when i beat them so <laughs> which which leads me to my next point because I, we, Rick and I grew up playing Madden and he would always beat me and I'm not very good. And like, talk to me about one, how you're able to play with the controller. Where do you put the controller? And then how good are you? Cause I heard you won second in high school in some Madden competition on the dark web. I was looking. So, <laughs> so where do you put so it? To answer, your, to answer your first question, I play by, I need to lay down because if I don't lay down, the controller is going to slip obviously out of my chin because of gravity, because I lay down and put the controller under my chin um, in my neck area. And I memorize the controller. So the, 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 the shapes are on my right side, which would be your left. X is on the bottom circle, triangle on top, squares on the left. And then you got the joysticks, which is directly under my chin. So I can navigate the joysticks with my chin. And if I'm playing Call of Duty or if I need to hit the speed burst in Madden, which is R2, and everyone knows R2 if they're using PS4 or if they're using Xbox, they're, I forgot what the trigger button is on top. But anyways, I use my collarbones because the, the buttons are underneath on the bottom. So I, I flip it just a little bit and I use my collarbones. So I memorize the controller just like anyone else with their fingers and hands, um, just in a different way, I guess. And there are certain games that I cannot play or it's not even fair for me to play because you got to press like three or four buttons at the same time. Yeah. 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 So, um, so call of duty, I'm not the greatest out. I mean, you have to have such quick fingers. The good thing about call of duty is there's this feature where, um, I don't know if you know, but when you scope, there's, there's two different scopes. You either have to hold the scope, aim, and, and pull the trigger at the same time, which is holding three buttons at the same time. Mm -hmm. Or you have a toggle button, which is you press L2, and that stays in scope mode. So therefore, you don't have to hold the scope mode mm -hmm. and, and, and hold it at the same time as you're aiming and shooting. So it's one less button for me to hold. Um, so as long as I have that feature in Call of Duty, I'm able to play it. Whereas call it NBA 2K, mm -hmm. and... I'm very up to date on my video games with this quarantine time right now. I was going to ask what your three favorite were. It sounds like Call of Duty, NBA, and Madden, right? It's actually, it's actually Madden, NHL, then Call of Duty. Okay. 
I was only bringing up 2K because of the fact that I can't change the configuration on the game. Mm. So damn it, that game sucks to me because I can't adapt <laughs> to it. We're right into Microsoft or whoever. So <laughs> whoever the makers of 2K is, but um, NHL is very adaptive to me because I'm able to hit R2, and then also the jo the joysticks is a big. Um, it plays a big role in the game because the right joystick is the full st stick feature, where if you need to go right left, you hit right left, and then if you hit up, it just shoots the puck. Mm. So and the joysticks are directly under my chin. Um, so it makes it easy. And then uh, Madden, you, like you <clears throat> say, you're the best at Madden. Like you, you smack talk, you beat, you beat your friends. Well, recently I've been holding tournaments, weekly tournaments on Facebook. I got some of my high school friends, a lot of my actually former players too, in this uh, Facebook group page, and they've been they've been beating me. They've been actually pretty good. <laughs> I got knocked out in the first round last tournament, so, oh, that, no. so I, I got a. <laughs> I got to go back to the practice field. There's a, there's a setting on Madden or a mode in Madden where you can practice. But um, no, I was good. I guess I'm not so much anymore. I got to retire. <laughs> got to hang it up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I got to hang it up. Hang up my cleats. All right. So I got I to gotta ask, uh, you know, fantasy football. I heard you're a fantasy, huge fantasy football fan, right? I am. I've been playing for 12 years now. 12 years? Now that you've met a couple of the players, and I'm sure you met some people at the SBs, do you let them know when you're going to draft them? Do you talk a little smack that, hey, you might have dropped a couple of spots? <laughs> um, no, you know what? I should have. I didn't have that comfortability yet. Yeah. I, I felt like the new guy, and I felt so <laughs> humble just to be around everyone that I didn't do that. But um, Adrian Peterson did give me the the – the feeling of just to be a friend and he was talking to me in the, uh, not in the cafeteria, in the, in the lounge area. And he was asking me, so when I was in my prime, he even said it when I was in my prime, did you pick me first? I said, well, if I had the first pick when you were with the Vikings, damn right. I said, right now I would have you on my squad. Let's just say that. And he started laughing. He got a kick out of it. <laughs> That's great. All right. Yeah. So, um, so how, how did the, who says I can't, come to be your, your motto you're saying oh well when I first said it it wasn't really there was no vision for this at all you know I didn't intend on carrying it over to me coaching football and making it a core mantra of the football team let alone saying it on the ESPYs you know what I mean so yeah. this all came full circle uh, but if I were to be honest exactly where it came from it came from an eighth grade dance when my friends told me i couldn't dance with this cute or this beautiful girl so so yeah who says i can't i looked over my shoulder because they were right behind me and i went up to her did a donut did some circles around her and started making her laugh and she uh she got a kick out of it so it was i think just a, a pure instinct in me to prove people and to myself too no, yeah, if you're going to tell me I can't, I'm going to go see if I can. So <laughs> don't get me wrong. Every time I try that, it doesn't always work in that, in that way. So, but that day, yeah, I do remember that eighth grade dance. Um, That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, and then, all right, so then that was in eighth grade and then high school football. Um, and then you were, talk, talk us about your high school football experience. Um, yeah, I never wanted to join the football team going into high school um it was never a thought it was never an idea all it was was just the dominoes kind of fell into place where 
I used to walk home with my friends um, from middle school, or I should say cruise home. They would be on their bikes or skateboards, and I would be cruising on my wheelchair with them because we all lived in the same neighborhood. So they all played football, and when they were in middle school, football practice didn't start until about 5.30 or 6 at night, so they had a good three-hour gap in between, you know, from school to practice. Well, high school football starts, or high school football practice starts right after school, and I didn't have anyone to walk home with. Long story short, I ended up just going to practice with them, and eventually on the third day of practice, the coaches noticed me there and just invited me on to, um, invited me first to have a jersey, and then invited me to be the announcer from there, from being the announcer, they wanted me to travel with the team as the team manager. So just one thing led to the next, and I was with the team for all four years. I announced freshman football all four years, but I really dove into the playbook not until my junior and senior year. Mm. So even my freshman, sophomore year, I barely knew what a, a slot receiver was or, or a tight end. Yeah. And, then, and then from there, um, when did you start your coaching career? Well, when I was going into my senior year, they actually asked me to coach the freshman team. And because of league guidelines and league rules, I wasn't able to coach the same school that I was going to. So I had to wait until I graduated high school. And my first year in college, uh, freshman year in college, I was coaching the freshman high school team. And my, my coaches were still the coaches. And I knew the playbook, you know, like no other. So they asked me to be the play caller at the freshman level. And you know, that gave me a sense of importance. Not only that, it really showed me that, um, you know, motivating people is, is a quality that I have. So I, I kind of just took it and ran with it. And you were drawing up plays? Yeah, I think the documentary kind of exaggerated on that. Uh, so I would obviously, you know, think I'm the, the next Bill Walsh. I really wasn't. Um, so I would go home and draw up all these plays. And I'm sure when I was in high school, the coaches were just being kind and, and giving me the time and the, the attention. But they never really ran the same exact plays that I drew up. Mm. But um, they did allow me to listen to the play calls. You know, they did allow me to call, you know, in the fourth quarter, say, because we were a really good team. And if we were dominating and leading by a lot, um, they were allowing me to play call. And it was only about three or four plays that I was calling because – no, I, I wasn't going to throw the ball when we were up by 30 or if we were losing by 30. You know, it was just simple run plays. But still, that gave me a sense of, um, you know, of like empowerment almost, I guess. And then not only that, just the mindset, the chess match out there between the OC and the DC. Um, I took a, a really good liking to that or a big liking to that. Yeah. And then uh, through your coaching career, um, there was some adver adversity. Like there was, there, was, there was some adversity, right, throughout your coaching career? Yeah, there was a couple schools. There was one school that um, that let me go just because of the fact that, um, you know, I a lot of the parents did they they liked me, and just to put it out there, the varsity coach was very standoffish, and um, you know there'd be times where parents would reach out to me, and I wasn't the head coach, so he felt like I was stepping over his toes when I was just truly, really trying to be the middleman and, and make things work for both sides. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I wish I did things differently. But at the same time, like, I did learn from what not to do uh, in his style. You know, you always want to be an open book um, to parents. You always want to make sure you let them know that 
you're there for, you know, you're there for not just as a football coach, as a mentor. And I felt as though the parents didn't have that feeling in him. So they saw, you know, they saw me really looking out for the well-being of their own kid. And, and um, he basically got rid of me because I think I got too close to the parents, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm not going to ask him. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it just didn't work out sometimes. This didn't work out. And then, like, uh, tell me the story about getting the phone call and, uh, you know, working with Prospect High and where you are now, right? Yeah, I applied in 2018 to Prospect, and um, I actually originally pro applied for the varsity OC job. I didn't even apply for the JV head coaching job. And he presented the, um, the position to me because he said – he didn't say this at the time in the interview, but he just – he asked me, he, would you be interested in, in becoming the next JV head coach? And I, I said, well, I would like to be the play caller. He goes, well, you can be the play caller down there and the head coach. I said, well, yeah, that does sound interesting. So I ended up taking the job. But later on, after the season ended, he told me that he mainly hired me because he saw me as a leader of people. And as an OC, he wanted to use me more than just as a play caller. And I appreciate Cable for that, um, mm -hmm. to see that, or for him to see that in me, um, that I can lead a group of people uh, to success. And we did have a successful year. Um, himself, including some people from the staff and the faculty, um, didn't expect us to have such a, a great season. Um, you know, the three years before that, Prospect only won a handful of games. I want to say they only won one game the year prior before uh, myself and the staff got there. Um, but, you know, I don't want to take all the credit because the coaches that worked with me, they totally bought into the philosophy of love and loving one another. And I've been through definitely a lot of locker rooms where it was just all X's and O's and being the tough guy um, when truthfully it's all about trust and, and being good people first and, and just figuring out how you're going to work with others. And, and I felt like we did that as a staff and we did a really good job on that. And that's one thing that encouraged me to work with coach cable and prospect because I can tell he had a good, um, he had good intentions leading this program and, and um, yeah, we just collaborated real well. Awesome. Yeah. Special place in your heart for cable. Uh, so, all right. <laughs> uh, all right, so I got to hear it. Top three memories of coaching football. Oh, okay. One memory, um, that always pops into my mind, which is, I guess a funny one. That's why it comes up first was I got so mad at this kid one day where he, I was the offensive coordinator and he wasn't running his slant real well. And there's actually... It's two things that are funny. One was the kids loved when, because in the artificial turf, my wheels, my tracks show up right when I roll, roll, wherever I roll. So whenever I wanted them to run an exact route, I would just show them with my wheels on the, the pattern on the field. <laughs> so this kid, was, this kid was running his quick slant too deep one day. So finally I was like, damn it, let me show you. So I went over there. I went three yards because I wanted a three-yard slant. I broke at three yards planted and the kids can see the, the exact angle and so I ran the route and I told the quarterback to throw the ball like an idiot not thinking of the safety of um, not not just me of my wheelchair so I ran the route I told the quarterback to throw the ball just to show the receiver the timing of when to expect the ball and the quarterback threw a missile a dart right at, at um, the little contraption that shows me my battery and 
and it was a very important part. Well, anyways, it broke. So I was stuck on the wheel, on the football field with a broken wheelchair, all because of, it was my fault. It was self-inflicted. I told the quarterback to throw it. So <laughs> I learned the hard way in that, and I'll never show um, that again or do that again. <laughs> all right, so that's one. What's, uh, what's like, uh, two more of your favorite memories from coaching? Um, another one was, I think, was the last halftime of the last halftime um, that we won in, in prospects. So we were down, it was the last game of the season, of the regular season, and we lost. Oh, no, we were losing going into halftime by six points. It was either 14, to, I think it was 14 to eight. So anyways, um, my, I have nothing else to tell these kids. And I, I just basically tell them, you know, I've never asked this for you guys, but there's one thing that I love in my life and I'm always going to be married to, which is football every single year. And you guys might not love football as much as me, but I want you guys to share that love and that passion that I have for football just for the next one hour, for the next two quarters. And I told them that if you guys can share that passion and share that love, you're going to give not only 100%, but you're going to give 110% on every single play. And that's the only thing I ask of you right now is to play and share the love that I have for football within yourselves right now. Give it 110%. We ended up winning by, by one point, 15 to 14. Wow. Um, yeah, but, yeah, so the, the kids fought their asses off that game, and they played um, till the end, and we won by one point. It was a crazy game. I just got some goosebumps right now. Put me in, coach. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> It didn't go just like that, but, but yeah. <laughs> and then do you have a, uh, do you have a final uh, favorite memory? or Just getting hired, I guess, at Prospect. I was so happy. I was, like, screaming to the top of my lungs out, outside of Prospect and just really excited. Awesome. It was a, it yeah, was a highlight it. moment of my career. I love that, man. I love that. So I got I to gotta get some swag. Um, I got to order some Prospect High swag. And well, I got I got to order some, uh, some, uh, who says I can't swag. Well, I, uh, hate to boost your bubble, but I can definitely get your prospect gear and who says I can't gear, but I'm not going to be going back to prospect this year. So I'm either going to be working in, um, San Diego as an offense coordinator at the school called Francis Parker, or I will be going to, um, I'm applying for a few different head coaching jobs down there in the San Diego area. So okay. I won't be in San Jose this year. Oh man. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know if I want prospect high. Cause that's like, that's like, you know, your, your roots right there. That's an OG high school or, or do I, do I request the new one that you go to? All right. It's got something to think about. <laughs> I'll get you the who says I can't gear for sure. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, uh, Rick. I'm going to turn things over to you. You take it here, man. What up everybody. Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. 
You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. All right. Well, listen, I've been sitting here hearing all these great stories and memories. And Rob, you've got me on the edge of my seat. This uh, story is just incredible. And I know I know the big, big thing that happened to you was last year, ESPN heard about your story. They did a documentary on it, and it ended up leading to you winning the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. Walk us through what the what the whole experience was like getting nominated and then finding out you had won the ESPY award. Well, the first time I heard about it was, it was actually unbelievable. I didn't believe the director when she told me because she told me she couldn't even hold in the news. She wasn't supposed to tell me before the president of ESPN told me, uh, but she called me one day so excited and I didn't believe it when she told me. So, I kind of let time pass, and then they invited me out to the, the Bristol campus uh, for ESPN just to tour the the studios and and to be on Sports Center, which that right there is a highlight in my life just to be on Sports Center because I watch that show every single day. So they flew me out to New York City to visit their New York campus first, and then from New York I got shuttled to Bristol, and you know they kept on telling me that I was going to be meeting the president, and then from what they told me on campus or a lot of the anchors told me on campus, they were very surprised on, oh, wow, you're going to meet up Mr. Pataro. Nobody's ever been up there to his office. And I was like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see what, you know, see what kind of surprising news he has. I had a feeling um, it was that, but I didn't know for sure. So when he finally broke the news to me, I just broke down in tears and couldn't hold it in because it was so humbling. I mean, I remember when Stuart Scott was giving his speech in 2014 that, uh, that, kind of, you know, brought tears into my eyes, but I don't watch the whole SB show, to be honest with you, every single year, but there are a few awards that get me every single time, and that's one is the Jimmy V Award, and to be a part of the list now, it's unbelievable still, and um, I tell a lot of people this, other than the Super Bowl, which I don't even think will top the Jimmy V Award, um, I can never top that award ever. Watching it, Rob, we hadn't met yet, I was at my home on the couch, and you had me teary-eyed with your speech that night, the inspiration, uh, just absolutely incredible. So happy for you and so happy that people out in the world are getting to hear your story because it's such a, a motivating and an inspiring one. Tell, tell me and tell our listeners what the day of the ESPYs was like when you got there and then you getting ready to deliver the epic speech that you did. Um, well, from the time I got there, I was very unfamiliar with just the way, you know, how, how much special treatment you get from, from just, you know, winning this award and it is very prestigious, but, you know, I've never received treatment like that ever in my life just to be picked up in this nice limousine with the wheelchair lift on it. I've never even seen anything like that in my life. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just very welcoming. They, put me up at the JW Marriott, which is right outside the uh, Staples Center and the Microsoft Center. Got to meet a lot of um, celebrities that, you know, I've been watching since I was a kid. And one big memorable, um, one big memory that I had was, I can't remember if it was the first or second day, but 
I was getting a new wheelchair for the ESPYs. And um, so I was getting some final tune-ups on the wheelchair. Um, that wheelchair never ended up working out, actually. But that's a whole different story. But anyways, the wheelchair was getting tuned up outside the JW Marriott right there by the valet. And um, there's a bunch of cars lined up. Um, one gentleman jumps out, uh, beautiful Escalade, 2019 Escalade, and runs out, Coach, Coach, can I get a picture with you? And I'm not really paying attention um, too much. I look up, glance up, and I glance up again. It's Adrian Peterson. Um, so that right there, just to see Adrian Peterson in his – you know, honest, sincere form of human, you know, I'm used to watching him play for the Vikings and, and, um, anyways, he asks me to take a picture and I'm just really, um, starstruck. And I usually don't get starstruck. I I've been around athletes and I don't really, um, I appreciate and I get impressed, but there's just certain people that I get starstruck around and Dusty Baker is one of them. Also Adrian Peterson. But when Adrian Peterson came up to me, that was very humbling because I would have loved to take a picture with him. And that's exactly what I told him. So that was pretty cool to see Adrian. And then uh, um, I, we exchanged phone numbers, just like, you know, nothing. We were texting back and forth the whole time we were there. We got to have a little um, a drink uh, at the pre-party together and, and hang out. But it was awesome just getting to know him and, and seeing him and his honest um, personality. But anyways, going to the ESPY, I was very nervous. Um, you know, I kind of was, how can you say it? Um, I didn't really want to talk to a lot of people the day of it. I stayed in my hotel room, just focused on my speech. I practiced it a lot the night before at the rehearsal. I never practiced speeches. I mean, I do, I was doing three or four speeches a month before this coronavirus quarantine thing, and I never practiced a speech. And now that, um, or the ESPYs, you know, they, it's kind of mandatory that you have to write it out and you practice it at the rehearsal. So I think just practicing it makes me more nervous because it's so scripted that you want to, you want to get a hundred percent accurate. Um, so I was really nervous just staying up in my room. I got room service that day, um, had some coffee, watched sports center. I didn't really do too much, too, anything too differently because, you know, I didn't want to make it bigger I don't want to take anything away from it, but I don't want to get the nerves caught up to me is the way to put it. So I just kind of kept my nerves under control. And then, uh, you know, when it was time, my, my caretaker got me ready. I remember having to choose between a tie of a tie I really liked or a tie that my dad gave me. I ended up choosing the tie that my dad gave me. And um, hopefully he doesn't see this podcast now. <laughs> he I does. I love that tie. You were looking sharp that night, Rob. It, it was a really nice shiny silver tie, but I also had a tie that went perfectly with the suit. It was a navy blue tie. Uh, but no, I, I went with the tie that my dad gave me that night. So, got dressed up. Um, I didn't talk to too many people except for just my manager. A lot of the SB people I had um, an escort. And somebody escorted me from my door all the way to the red carpet. Uh, it was just, I don't know, it was really different. <laughs> I don't really like talking about it because it's so, I feel like it's, I don't know. 
it was yeah. an amazing it was an amazing speech rob i mean you broke the ice in there giving a shout out to the women's team that had just won the world cup i mean you were so it seemed like comfortable and it's uh it's it's eye opening to hear that the nerves were going on but you still delivered just a legendary speech i encourage all the listeners out there to youtube coach rob mendez and listen to that speech if you need to pick me up any day of the week his speech will do it and and so awesome time there at the espies and from there your life really the last 12 months has changed dramatically you have been on the road flying from city to city you've been giving motivational talks and speeches. You're now also partnered up this past year with the Super Bowl with the NFL. I know our friends at Jockey, shout out to them, connected mm -hmm. and sponsored a clinic at the Super Bowl. Talk to us about that and the autobiography that you're working on. Um, yeah, it was my first time in Miami and I got to go visit this town of Hillelea, I think it's called. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, is that how you say it? That's how you say it. Oh, cool. So I got to visit the people of Hellea and uh, we held a camp of over 100 kids. And truthfully, I had this whole structure of a camp to go how I wanted to do the, the camp. And not all the coaches showed up. And a lot of the coaches were very unfamiliar with the drills that I was asking them. So I had to adapt on the fly. and I think, you know, we did great with what we had because we were very outnumbered with the, the kids and we only had about, I think, seven or eight coaches. So when we, when we brainstormed together, because we got there early, um, I just kind of worked on the fly like a hurry-up huddle. All right, you're going to do this. You're going to be responsible for that. You're going to be responsible for this. So basically, I had them bring out a lot of um, cones. They had some equipment where you can throw footballs in the nets. You know, there was a target drill. There was footwork drills. And then at the end, there was a seven-on-seven seven drill, which I ended up opening up to like 10-on-10 10 10 or 11-on-11 11 11 because there were so many kids, and I was just trying to get all of them involved. Um, but my main goal was to just get these kids out there working and working nicely with each other and making sure that, you know, they weren't going to be talking down to each other and things like that and also have fun with them. And they, they – we had a whole lot of fun. I didn't even expect to have that much fun with them. I mean, I was out there running around. Um, good thing my chair didn't get broke again because I ran up a uh, route again and and uh, just having fun with the kids. But, yeah, it was, it was a great time. That was Thursday. And then the next morning I, I got to go visit Radio Row at the convention center in Miami. Um, you know, I was, I was on uh, KNBR 680, which is well-known in the Bay Area. It's a, it's a sports radio. and Got to meet Greg Papa, which is a well-known guy here in the Bay Area. He's been covering the Raiders for many years. Got let go from the Raiders, and good thing the Niners picked him up because he's really well-known. Uh, I just, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. <laughs> and your 49ers were in the Super Bowl. They didn't win it, but it was a great game. You're, you're now working on an autobiography. I want to hear about that. When's the book going to be out? When can listeners get a copy? Yeah, I'm just finishing up the book. And uh, it won't be coming out until probably a fall of 2021. I'm pushing for the publishing company to get it out possibly in the spring of 2021. But um, I think it's going to be coming out in the fall. So look out for that. It's going to be called Who Says I Can't. It's an autobiography from day one. Um, you know, it talks a lot about how my parents raised me and, and my sisters 
and then it, it it shares a lot of good moments and a lot of good experiences that I think is very related for everyone and anyone to to read up on and and um, I'm very fortunate to be able to share my story with others and um, yeah coach I got a fun one here before we get you out of here you've met a lot of athletes I know uh, Justin Verlander has challenged you to some sporting video games. I know Clay Matthews has introduced you to your now girlfriend. You're hanging with all the big guys. You're having drinks with Dusty Baker. Who is who is one player that you haven't met yet, an athlete out there that just you you just would love to hang out with and maybe spend a day with? That's the easiest question on the list when I was reading up on that email earlier because Tom Brady has been my idol since he took over the job from Bledsoe. I mean, I love his self-made, how he made himself in the NFL, drafted in the sixth round, this goofy kid out of Michigan. Um, he runs very unorthodox. If you watch his, his footage from back in 2001 of the combine. Uh, but anyways, Tom Brady has definitely, I've idolized him because his grit and his determination, just like MJ and how we're watching the Last Dance documentary. Um, MJ is another um, athlete that I would love to meet, but I think that if I didn't want to, because I don't think I do, but even if I didn't try to emulate their desire to win, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. So I thank them for, <clears throat> for resembling that, including Kobe too, just that Mamba mentality. Um, but I think what I really got out of Tom Brady and MJ is just their determination to, to be anyone and everyone at all costs. And for me, I would go into football as that with the mindset of developing kids uh, because I know my main goal as a, or my main focus as a high school football coach. You guys there? Oh yeah. Sorry. That was an incoming call. <laughs> All good, Rob. I know you do share a lot of similar qualities to Tom Brady and Michael Jordan, and I, I understand that those guys listen to the Brothers Brandt podcast pretty often, so I'm sure they're out there, and uh, maybe one of these days your phone will ring, and it'll be one of those guys wanting to hang out and spend a day with you. We appreciate so much, Rob, you taking time out of your day to, to chat with us here on the Brothers Brandt, share your story. We are fans for life, part of the Mendez team forever, and we're rooting for you. We're hoping that you'll uh, land in a great spot this coming football season, and we're so excited to see what's next. Thank you, Rick. No, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what's next, and um, I just I thank you for this time. And, Rick, I want to say thank you for that uh, time in Florida as well. I mean, it was a great time hanging out with you. and. Uh, you know, you giving us access to the golf course and hanging out with you and, um, you know, you and Dusty. It was just a very memorable moment. And next time I'm in West Palm, I'm definitely going to be contacting you. Absolutely. Same here. It was my absolute treat. Uh, we love you like a brother. I know Rob uh, is so excited that you were a part of today's podcast. So, Rob, be well. Stay safe in this quarantine. For all you listeners out there, I'm Rick Brandt. And I'm Rob Brandt, and we are the Brothers Brandt. Thanks a lot, Rob. Who says I can't? Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
Thanks a lot, Rob. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.